Woods Eye Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. As we turn the page to a new year, many are wondering what will come next and how to navigate it when it does. We invite you to tune into our series, What Now? How Tomorrow Shapes Today, as we explore the words of Jesus in Matthew 24 and 25. Together, we'll learn to look toward the future because what we believe about tomorrow defines the way we'll spend today. Let's discover God's answer to the question on everyone's mind. What now? You should be seated. If you want to turn to Matthew chapter 25, that is where we're going to be this morning. I hope you are well this morning and you're looking forward to talking about what God has for us. We're in Matthew 25. We've been, for the last number of weeks, uh, talking through... Uh, walking through the parables in, in Matthew chapter 24 and 25 to the Olivet Discourse as we're in a series, What Now? How Tomorrow Shapes Today. Coming out of 2020, many people are asking what now. Many people are looking for signs of the times. And this is one of Jesus' largest times where he shares about how it's going to end, what it's going to look like. And what's been super good for us is to look at the practicality of how what we believe later will shape how we should live today. And when I look at what Jesus says about how it's going to end or what it's going to look like, it should empower me. It should change the way that I live uh, today. And today is no different from that in our text when we look at the parable of the talents. And for the last number of weeks, Jesus has been saying over and over again, and I feel like sometimes I'm like kind of like beating the same drum. He's been saying over and over and over and over, be ready, be ready, be ready. And I was driving a lot this weekend. Um, in fact, I, I left Cincinnati this morning at 2 a.m. I was driving trying to be a good father at my kid's soccer tournament this weekend and a good pastor. And so I left. And so I was this morning just driving in the dark a lot and thinking and five hours down there by myself driving, thinking. I was thinking about this idea of being ready in our context, in our life, because uh, it, it's wild how much we are ready or we think that we're ready for many things in life. I mean, you go through the list of things in your life. We try our best to be prepared in our culture for every little nuance. I mean, you can get a, a, an insurance coverage for everything that will happen in life to be prepared and be ready. I mean, we, we try to prepare and get our kids ready for college. And even now, not, it's not even that, it's prepared to get a master's degree. And you're, you're making sure that they have all the right steps in place and all the things together to be ready for college. And you try to prepare yourself, which I don't think anyone's ever really prepared, for marriage. As you enter into marriage and you're dating people and you're trying to prepare yourself and be ready. When you think about just your retirement, we spend so much time and energy and effort thinking and, and putting aside money and meeting with financial advisors and all these different things so that when that day comes, whether that's earlier for you or later, or maybe you're aiming for an earlier date, that we're prepared and we're ready to enjoy our golden years, right, as we're retiring. I mean, hopefully people in the room have prepared with life insurance. We prepare that if something was to happen, God forbid, to me, I want to make sure that my wife and my kids are taken care of because I want to be ready. I want to be prepared. I mean, we have everything down to getting a flat tire. We have AAA to be ready. Everything. What's wild to me, what God was pressing on my heart as I was driving is this fact that we are many times more ready in this lifetime, in this world, and we think more about it, spend more time and more energy to be ready for every little nuance of this life and often spend very little time thinking about how we're prepared to see Christ in the next life. 
You just think about how much time and energy you think about what it looks like for you right now to be prepared in every situation. And then how much time you think about what we've been talking about the last number of weeks of being ready and being prepared and not being scared, but actually excited because the way I'm living is going to be exciting one day. It's that same principle. Why we called the series that how tomorrow shapes today, that if I really believe that one day I'm standing before Christ and this is what he said I need to do to get prepared and be ready, man, it will shape and affect the way that I live today. Or it should. It will shape and affect the way that I use what God has given me, what we're going to talk about today, day in and day out. Because, man, the question we're wrestling with, is, and we've been talking about the last couple of weeks, is what does it look like to be ready? You know, I mean, Jim, you keep saying be ready, but what does that actually look like? What is that what did Jesus say it looks like? Because he said in Matthew 24, Therefore, you also must be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. And so Jesus gave instruction to be ready. And he talked about wise servants and a thief in the night. And, and, and last week there were like ten virgins or ten bridesmaids. And five were foolish and five weren't. And five were prepared and five weren't. And the, the groom's going to come at any moment to take away the bride. So this week we jump to another parable, which is one of the maybe more famous parables in the parables, uh, the parable of the talent. And when we look at it, he's saying we need to be ready and being ready to, to meet God or stand before God is to be diligent. And when it comes to being a Christian or whatever you want to say, like diligence means faithfully serving the master. That's what I want you to remember today. Diligence means faithfully serving the master. Put in whatever word you want there. Father, telling, uh, you know, all the names we have for God, faithfully serving the Lord, Father, Savior, King, whatever it is. That's what it looks like for us to be diligent in serving the Lord, and it helps us to be prepared. And so when Jesus shares, he's sharing a story, a parable. I love the parables. I've studied them at length. It's fascinating what you look at them and what Jesus has to share in them. And today is no different. It's a story. And we need to get into the story a little bit and feel what they're feeling so that we can understand what Christ is trying to share. And so there's three scenes within the story. We're just going to practically walk through them. And I want to point out a few things for us this morning on what it looks like for us to be prepared, to be diligently serving the master. What does that look like in this parable as we look at it together? So let's just read it together. There's, there's a couple different scenes. I'm going to stop and chat uh, throughout the time. So look in verse 14. Matthew chapter 25, if you don't have it, it'll be on the screen. Matthew 25, 14. For it will be like a man going on a journey. Now just remember for a moment, he's still talking about the kingdom of heaven. So when he says it, it means the kingdom of heaven. One day, the kingdom of heaven, this is what it's looking like, it's future. For it will be like a man going on a journey. Who called his servants and he entrusted them. Now remember the language that he's using just, just, just remember what he's saying. He entrusted it to them, whose property? His property. To one he gave five talents, another two, to another one, according to his ability. Again, key language. Then he went away. So the, it here is the kingdom of heaven. He says it will be like this. The kingdom of heaven will be like this. So he says it's going to be like a man who goes on a journey. Now that man is the master. Now we'll fast forward. We know that man is Jesus Christ, the master in the story, as we're sharing it, as we're looking at it together. So the man calls some servants he has together, and he gives them some of key in language in the text, his property. He doesn't say, man, he, 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 they, they get some of their own property. No, he gives them 
his property. It's his, and he's entrusting it with them. He gives them talent. So in Greco-Roman world, a talent was, was, a, was the largest unit of money that they had. And what's fascinating for us when we look at it, I don't want us to just think about it with the context of money. Instantly, everybody in the room starts grabbing their wallets. The pastor's talking about money. Like, like, like no, think about it beyond that, you know? Um, around the 15th century, the word talent in English came to mean ability or aptitude because of this parable. So this parable applies to your money for sure, but don't live, think about it just just with your money, think about it in your abilities, your talents, your time, your treasure, everything that you have that has been deposited to you from God himself. Talk about it. Let's think about it in this text. So the talent, it's significant for us to understand how much money was that. It was a monetary weight. Some people would say it was worth, one talent was worth about $400,000 in our context today. Others would go so far as to say like $1.4 million. One talent. So let's just split the difference and call it a cold million, right? So a talent, a million bucks, just for our, our conversation here today. So he says that one guy got five million, one guy got two million, and one guy got one million of the master's talent, his money, his physical goods. Now what's amazing is Jesus says that the master gave it to each one of his servants, this fascinating phrase that we don't like probably in this room, according to his ability. According to the ability of the individual, it could also be translated according to his power. Now, it might sound odd, but just to be frank, it might sound a little bit unfair. Why didn't everybody get the same? We live in a world, everybody gets a trophy. It's an unfair, like that's not fair. Well, when we look at the kingdom of God, it's not like that. In the kingdom of God, when we see here is everyone isn't expected to carry the same weight in God's kingdom according to their ability. So some in this room have different abilities, and some in the room have, have more ability, and some have less. And with those abilities come expectation we're seeing here. So you see this throughout text, uh, the text of Scripture. I mean, you look at it, there's a lot of different characters that play a role in God's kingdom, and they play a role through Scripture. You think about it. Peter had a different role than John. John had a different role than Mary. Mary had a different role than Thomas. Thomas had a different role than Bartholomew, because we don't even know what Bartholomew did. So it, either way. But each of them were different. Peter, he says, man, on this rock, I'm going to build my church. Right? Paul, he finds going on the Damascus Road, and he grabs them for himself, and he's the greatest missionary to ever live, and wrote most of the New Testament. Other disciples couldn't say that because each according to their ability. Now, what's the problem is, let's just fast forward and just applications for us here today. The problem is, when it comes to these things, many times we are so worried about looking over our shoulder and comparing what we have compared to what other people have that it disables us for the kingdom of God. Well, I can't do what Jim does. I can do what Ryan does, and I don't have this kind of ability, and they have more of a platform, and they have, God gave them more uh, resources or whatever it may be, and it debilitates us rather than saying, man, God has me here according to my ability to move for the kingdom of God. Just think about it this way. If I came to you today and said, man, here's a million bucks, you would be ecstatic. Unless your pocketbook's different than mine, I would be ecstatic. I might faint. So if you want to see me faint, just come out to the room. I'm not giving you a million bucks. It's fine. Um, I would be excited. I'd be like ecstatic. It would be incredible until if I was in comparison game, I looked and my neighbor's got two million. 
Now my million doesn't look that significant, especially if it looks three doors down, and my neighbor neighbor has three million. Now my million seems insignificant. Or five million. You're like, man, I got the short end of the sticks because comparison kills. It kills our joy. It kills our peace. This is one of the major problems with social media. All we ever do is see everyone else's best life, and we compare our life to their life when really their life probably isn't like that. That's just the life they want you to see. Because comparison kills. And we do this within the kingdom of God that we, man, we compare. Like, I'm not talented as that person. I'm a one-talent person. Man, I would, I would go as so far as to say many people in this room probably think they're a one-talent person. I, many of, most of my life, I said, man, I think I'm just a one-talent person. But here's the deal. Just the nature of thinking that way, it shows the disease of my heart and your heart if that's the way we think. Because it's not about, this parable has nothing to do about one, two, or five. The point is that all of them have been extravagantly blessed by their master with talents for his kingdom purposes. And the same is true in our lives. Like all of us in this room have been bestowed on us giftings and abilities and finances and resources in life according to our ability. And all of it is amazing and a blessing by God. It isn't about which one got more. We'll see more in the text in a moment. It's like Jesus with his other parable, the laborers in the vineyard. Maybe you've never read it before. Matthew 20, verse 15, they all got the same amount of money. Look at it. I'll just read it real quick. Matthew 20, 15. He says this in the response because they're all like comparing, like, wait a minute, I worked more hours than that person. And Jesus says, he replies back and says, am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first and the first will be last. So I'll just ask you this morning, just starting, have you responded rightly to what God has entrusted to you? Think about all that God has entrusted to you. I mean, everything. According to James, every good and perfect gift has come from the Lord. So if you're gifted in a certain way, it's not because you were born into a certain family. It's because God gifted you in an amazing and beautiful way. If you have what you have, and you think you have it because you worked harder than everybody else, it's because God chose to bless you. And what I have, all of my children, think about them too, that God gave me three beautiful children, entrusted them with me. What am I doing with them? My marriage, my resources, all of my giftings that God has bestowed on me. Have I responded rightly to what God has entrusted? Look at scene two, see how they responded. It says, he who had received five talents went at once. Again, this is key language. And traded with them. But he made five more, and he made five more talents, or talents more. So also he who had two talents made two talents more. In verse 18, but he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. You see that? Immediately. The guy with five talents, he went at once. He said, there's no time. We can't spare any time. I don't know when my master's coming back. He could come back tomorrow. You see that expectancy of the imminency of the return of the master? Like, I got to go do it right now because he could be gone a day. He could be gone a month. He could be gone five years. But I got to do something with what my master has given me right now. Same with the guy with two talents. He puts it to work. He serves faithfully. He's diligent with the investment that has been given to him. You see, diligence is doubling. Taking what his master had given him and saying, man, how can I make this greater? How can I use this? How can I steward this for the kingdom of God? 
for his good or for my good and his glory. Do you think about what God has entrusted you with like that? Do you think about all the things that you have in your life, your giftedness, your resources, your family, your relationships, your status, your platform? Do you think about it in such a way like this, that the Lord asks us? You see, he says, man, you come to me with empty hands. I give you more. I entrust this with you. Then your job is to multiply it for the betterment of the kingdom of God. It reminds me of the story of the feeding of the 5,000. Oftentimes I say that this is my life story, I feel like, in a different aspect because I've always gravitated toward that because I, I always thought when I was a kid that God wouldn't be able to use me. And I always remember that story that a little in the hands of God is a lot. That God can multiply anything. right? But you think about it from the, the perspective of the disciples is that they come to Jesus empty-handed, and Jesus does something amazing, miraculous. Their job is to walk in obedience and pull more off and feed over 5,000 people plus women and children. And at the end, there's still an abundance as they walk in obedience to Jesus. They say, go feed the people. They came empty-handed. Jesus gave them what they needed, and their job was to go and multiply it. And your job is the same. It's not multiplying it by your own effort. It's multiplying it by the Spirit of God, the kingdom of God. Jesus himself, just like he did with the disciples. You come to us empty hands. He entrusts it with you. You multiply it for his kingdom. Jesus is saying the same thing to us. The second thing, to reinvest what you've been given for the kingdom of God. Do you think about that? I mean, do we think about what we have, our resources, all of our relationships? I'm not going to keep going over every time, but all that you have, do you think about it in a way that I'm reinvesting it for the kingdom of God? Sure, I actually have no problem with all that God has given you. It's for your enjoyment. It's fine to enjoy. It's beautiful. It's amazing. But it's also to be used and stewarded for the kingdom of God. And how that works out in your life is determined for you and the spirit of God working in you. But do you think about it in that lens that you're reinvesting it for the kingdom of God because it's actually not yours, it's God's? I don't think it's a perspective oftentimes we have. Well, the last guy in the field, he dug a hole and hid it in the ground from his master. And he received this talent, beautifully wrapped. We're talking about like a million bucks. It's graciously given. But what happens? Look with me in verse 19. Now, after a long time, so the master took a little while. A long time, the master of those servants came and he settled accounts with them. And he came and he received the five talents. Or excuse me. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more and saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. And his master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he said also, who had the two talents came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over little. I will set you over much. Enter the joy of your master. All these things that we want to hear from the Lord. Now, what, what he says here, the master, master returns to settle accounts. He, he's, he's, the implication, the language here is that it's his account. It was the master's resources, the master's money, and he entrusted them to his servants that they would steward them and multiply them. They're his accounts. He entrusted them. 
Man, this is what has to enter into our heart and our minds. And many times it just enters into my mind where I'm like, yeah, Jim, totally get it. Been hearing my whole life. I'm just a steward of God's resource. Totally get it. But we got to figure out a way for it to enter not just into our heads, but make it 12 to 20 inches, depending on how to, to actually enter into my heart. So then it will somehow come out in my hands in the way that I actually live. That all that God has given me, he's given me to multiply and steward for the kingdom of God. You think about your children that way. Now, I don't know how we multiply them three to six, but I got three daughters, but like, I don't know how I get six, but that's where it breaks down. But how do you take your children and look at them and say, man, these are my resources that God has given me. And like Psalm says, it's my job to disciple them like an arrow in the bow of an archer to shoot them out into the world because I've discipled them as followers of Jesus to go out and live lives that will follow Jesus. Do you, do you look at your kids like that, deposited from God for you to, he's entrusted you with, to steward it? So I think about it, like I've just got to make sure they have shelter and food and I'm too busy golfing and working and hanging out with my girlfriends or whatever it may be. Do I think about the, my paycheck as it comes in every single week or every other week or every month or however you make money? Do you look at that and say, this is a stewardship thing. The Lord has given me this. How do I steward it for the kingdom of God? Yes, it's for my enjoyment. It's for my kids. It's for my family. But it's for the kingdom of God. How do you think about all the things that God has given you? The platform at work. The people who follow you on social media. All of the resources that God has given you, do you think about them like this in a stewardship way that they are his? And I but just have either 10, 20, 100 years or whatever it is to steward them. And one day I'm going to stand before the Lord and say, Lord, here's my three kids. Here's my three kids, Lord. I got no problem. Driving five RC nights so I can be present with them. Because I want them to know, like, yeah, your dad will do anything for you. Yeah, Lord, you gave me, like, a platform in ministry. What am I doing with it? That's my, that's my talent. Do I steward it well? What has the Lord entrusted you with? Everything that I have is given for the kingdom of God and for my enjoyment. Yes, but do I even think about it? Now, when it says he settles his accounts, his first servant, man, it's amazing. I doubled it. Second servant, I doubled it. What's fascinating to me that we often glaze over in this parable, do you realize that the master, one gets two, par two, two talents, one gets five talents, they both get the exact same reward. They both get the same thing. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. He affirms them. Well done. He entrusts them both with more, and he invites them to experience the joy of the master. Can I tell you in this room, it doesn't matter if God's given you one talent, five talents, two, ten, twenty, whatever it is. The reward is the same for each one of us. We stand before the Lord. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Quit comparing. Who cares? You might have gotten two. You might have gotten ten. At the end of the day, the finish line is the same. Jesus. It's all the same. 
We're just called to steward what God has for us. And here's the thing, here's the thing. Man, this, this drives home the point. The point is not about how many you got. The point, again, is about faithfulness and stewardship of what God has given us. And these guys were faithful, but one of them wasn't. Look with me in verse 24. He also, who had received the one talent, came forward saying, Master, I knew you would be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So, and here's my excuse, I was afraid. And I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, I still got it. I didn't waste any money. I still here, I have it for you. Wow. Why didn't he reinvest? I mean, the other guys, it says that they invested him. They maybe had to buy into companies or do other things. It may be a little bit risky. And so he, they took what God had given them for the kingdom and they actually said, hey, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to double my master and I might lose some here and I'm going to gain some there. But they, it was a little bit of risk, like using what God had given them or that the master had given them. Why didn't this guy diligently work? Why wasn't he faithful? Why did he not act? He says, you, you reap where you did not sow. I was afraid. You're a hard man. You gather where you, you didn't scatter. It's like he's saying back to the master, man, you wanted me to work for you when you're not working at all. You ever work for someone like that? The boss just sits over there and you do all the work? You're like, you're a hard man. Like, the point of it all is he had the wrong view of the master. He had a wrong view of the master. He's like, man, you're a hard man. He's like, he just saw him in the wrong way. And can I tell you today, there's a lot of people, countless people in this room and outside this room that don't follow Jesus whatsoever and have the wrong view of God. And when you have a, what, whatever your view is of God will affect the way that you live. I'll just give you one quick example. Man, if you believe that God is a big God, that when you say move this mountain into that ocean, you will pray big prayers that say move this mountain into that ocean. If you believe God can't even provide for your needs, you won't ask God to provide for your needs. What you believe about God, how you view God, will impact how you walk with God. Because if I think God is a small God that can't do anything, man, I'm never going to ask God for anything. I'm never going to pray big prayers. But if I believe God is the God of the universe that spoke everything into existence, man, I will beg God, whether he answers yes or no, I will beg God, you can do this. Because it affects my heart, because I actually believe that God is a big and powerful God. But so many people, countless people, a wrong view of the master. It can be countless today. Countless today. There's people that you encounter at work or your neighbors or whoever it is every single day. Their view of God is like, forget you. I'm just going to live for me. I've got like so many years. I'm just going to live it up, man. Maybe there's a God. Maybe there isn't. I'll find out one day. But I'm just going to live for me right now because that's what everything around me is telling me to do. I'm going to live for me. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get as much as I can walking over whoever I can. Forget it. I can't tell you there's a lot of people in this room, there's a lot of people that you encounter that are followers of Jesus have a wrong view of the master. Their view is like someday I'll get to it and God's a forgiving God and it'll all be good in the end. The master, it's all good. I mean, I'm living for me. I go to church every Sunday, Jimmy, it's fine. Everything I have is, I know it's God's, but really I'm just stewarding it like it's mine. It's fine. But it's a wrong view of the master. It's a wrong view of God. What should we say? Continue in sinning that grace should abound? God forbid. 
as if you live that way because yes, that's the giving God. I would say if that's our view, we should do heart care because it's revealing something about my relationship with Jesus. But no, Jesus says, no, it's more than that. He says, no, so what does the master say? I mean, it's heavy. These are passages, man, I'd like to rip out of my Bible. Man, I don't want to read this stuff. I don't want to wrestle with it, but it's there. Verse 26, but the master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I don't sow and gather where I scattered no seed. Here's the thing. If you actually believe that wrong view of me, you even should have done this in verse 22, 27. Then you ought to have at least invested my money with the bankers and and my coming, I would have received what is mine with interest. So take the talents from him and give it to him who has the 10 talents. For to everyone who has will more be given and he who have an ab- and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away and cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jesus isn't a guy that is just rubbing our backs and saying it's all good. This is stuff that came from the mouth of Jesus. The last thing is remember the return of the Lord. This last guy, instead of affirmation, he gets condemnation. Instead of joy, he receives isolation and despair. Instead of greater responsibility like these other guys, he gets his responsibilities stripped from him. Man, this is, his, this is what Jesus is saying to his disciples, and he's saying the same to us today. He's saying, man, I've given you an invaluable gift, just the baseline. I'm, I've given you the knowledge of the kingdom of God and the good news of the gospel. You've entered into my kingdom. Man, you're not all the same, he says to his disciples. He's saying to you today, you're not all the same. My purposes are different for each one of you according to your ability. But the day will come for all of us. That is the same. And the reward will be the same. And when he does return, what will he see that we've done with the investment he's given us? What will he see that he's done, that I've done, with all the opportunity that he's given? Church, this message is for us as much as it was For them, being ready means being diligent. Being diligent means we must faithfully serve the master. Man, can I tell you, today, maybe the the easiest practical step would be, man, I'm just going to put my talent in the bank. We're just going to start there. We're just going to start there. Like, I'm just going to put it in the bank so it starts getting interest. It's the smallest of steps. It's like Jesus saying back to the one guy, like, you could have at least put it in the bank. You could have done something, but you just buried it in a field. Like, you could have taken, it's not like Jesus is saying you got to move to to Africa and, and be a missionary and change the world. He might be saying that, but he's saying it's a small step. It wouldn't even take any work. You could have just given it to the bankers, and over the period of time, the long period of time I had, it would have gained a little bit of interest for my kingdom. And Jesus says the same thing to you. He might not be today asking you to sell all you have and give it to the poor. He might just be saying, man, do something. Just put it in the bank. Like, what's that for you? Again, what is the the thing? Because I don't want us to think like, yeah, he's talking about all of our talents, but he's also talking about our, our, our money too. Like, man, we play this game back and forth. Some of us in this room might be like, man, Jesus, I'm, I'm the biggest giver at this church. But over here, man, don't, don't mess with my marriage. 
Don't mess with my kids. Don't mess with my workplace. Those kind of are like different. And I make up for it because I'm, I'm a bigger giver with my, my resource, my money. Or maybe the flip-flop, you don't give any money to God's kingdom. You know, over here you're like, man, but I have a great marriage. My kids are great. I live with you in other areas. Now Jesus is saying everything, no matter what it is for you or for me, everything has been given to you as a deposit for his kingdom. Man, can I tell you, you are in a war every day. Satan wants to convince you you're not in a war. He wants to rub your back and say, man, you're okay, the grace of God. You're in a war every single day. John Piper said it this way in Don't Waste Your Life, fantastic book, you should read it. He says this, I am wired by nature to love the same toys that the world loves. I start to fit in. I start to love what others love. I start to call earth home. Before you know it, I am calling leisure's needs and using my money just the way unbelievers do. I begin to forget the war. I don't think about what people, I don't think about people perishing. Missions or unreached people drop, drop out of my mind. I stop dreaming about the triumphs of grace. I sink into the secular mindset that looks first to what man can do and not what God can do. It is a terrible sickness. And I thank God for those who have forced me again and again toward a wartime mindset. You're in a war every day, whether you like it or not. The devil is a lot stronger, a lot smarter than you. And he's convincing you that the way we live in the world is totally fine. It's just me. It's about me. And he wants to tell you right now, like, you're fine. Don't, don't, don't listen to what Jim says. It's all good. You're fine. And at the end of the day, Jesus is looking back and saying, no, we're all not fine. I have things to wrestle with from this message. I wrestled for five hours this morning driving you guys. We all do. And maybe today it's for me, some things I thought about myself in certain moments, summer areas of my life, it's just I just need to put them in the bank. I just need to start there. What does that look like for me? Start taking all that God has given me reinvesting it for the kingdom of God. That's how we're prepared, that we live like we're children of God. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself to us today.